Amen. Well, I'm really glad I'm here today. I don't know about you guys. I've been so blessed just worshiping God together, celebrating communion together. Uh, Our lead pastor, Pastor Mark and Stephanie, are away uh, this week, so we pray for them to have a wonderful time together and some rest and just enjoy each other's company, and we um, anticipate seeing them next week. My name is Carl Durley. I'm one of the pastors here at Fellowship, and it's, uh, if I don't know you, I'd, I'd love to meet you after the service if we get a chance. You know, it's interesting as we celebrated communion here today that, that this is what Christ incorporated for us or instituted for us, to actually participate in something physical as we eat and drink in remembrance of the gospel. I think it's a proclamation that the gospel is more than just spiritual, that he has a plan to redeem this fallen world, this creation, you and me. So for the message today, I'd like to think about the concepts of physical hunger and thirst and just hunger and thirst in general. Hunger and thirst are built into our lives. They're a normal part of what it means to be a human being. We might tend to think of hunger and thirst as just negative things, but they're also necessary things in our lives. For example, when a baby is born, if that baby does not properly hunger, then that can be a a life-threatening, very serious condition for that child. Hunger and thirst can save our lives. It's part of what it means to be alive. Now, when you and I use the term hunger for something, we are talking about a want or a desire, but it's more than just a want or a desire. There can be a lot of things that we want, a lot of things that we desire, but when we say that we hunger for something, we're indicating something different. When we say that we're hungry for something, we're saying we have a desire that has a deep-rooted connection to a need, to an intrinsic need. It's more than just something we want. When we hunger for something, we're hungering and desiring something that we need. Hunger is more than just a want. And one of the greatest problems that human beings have always had, and it's been this way from the beginning throughout all of human history, and it continues to be one of the biggest problems with humankind, is when we hunger for the wrong things, and we don't hunger for what we truly need. It's always been this way. In fact, the very first sin that Adam and Eve committed against God had to do with a misplaced hunger. They saw the fruit of the forbidden tree. They saw it. They thought it was good for them. And they ate it. They followed a desire for something that they actually did not need. It was a hunger for the wrong thing. And the consequences were catastrophic. But that problem is not unique to Adam and Eve. It's a problem that has persisted with all people, including each one of us. We have this problem of hungering after the wrong things. We still do. Throughout the Bible, God has used human hunger and thirst to teach us about what things are most important. And we're going to walk through some of those passages together and just see how God used hunger and thirst to teach us about what really matters. In the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus, 
After God delivered the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, he led them out across the Red Sea into the wilderness to meet with him. And God intended to gather them at Mount Sinai where he would establish an enduring covenant with this people. So he rescued them miraculously. He provided for them. He defeated their enemies. And he was present with them. However, even after all that miraculous deliverance, even with his miraculous presence with them, very quickly there were rumblings of rebellion against God. And it started with the Israelites and their thirst. Within days of being delivered through the Red Sea, they were grumbling against God, saying, what are we supposed to drink? God had provided water for them, of course. Now, God, it's not like he forgot. He had a plan. He had it under control. He would not have delivered them into the desert and had had them die of thirst. That was not his plan. In fact, he took them to a place called Elam, and Elam was a place where there were 70 springs for them to drink from. God knew what he was doing. He had it all under control. But it was their thirst which caused them to question God, to challenge God, and even to rebel against God. So pick up with me in Exodus chapter 16, verse 1. It'll be on the screen or you can follow along uh, in your own Bible. Exodus 16, verses 1 through 3. It says, they set out from Elam, that place of the springs, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. So again, Elam is where the springs were. Sinai is where he would establish this covenant. And by the way, he was going to provide more water for them there. But it was this in-between time in between these places. On the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to him, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. You have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with Hunger. What an accusation against God. God had a plan all along. He had already delivered miraculously, but their hunger led them to literally wish they were dead rather than having to trust God. Their desire to be full of food. They talked about the meat pots and the bread back in Egypt. Their desire for food led them to insult God's character And to rebel against him. They said, we wish you would have killed us instead. Their hunger revealed what they thought they needed the most. And they thought that what they needed the most was food. They did not think that they needed to trust God. And their hunger revealed what they thought was more important. They were willing to turn against God himself in order to chase after their hunger, even if it meant going back into slavery. So here's how God responded to them them in Exodus 6, verse 12. God says, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them at twilight, you shall eat meat, 
and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. So God provided for their hunger, which he would have done anyway without all the complaining, but anyway, he did provide for them. He sent quail to eat in abundance. And this miraculous bread that they didn't see coming, it's called bread from heaven, but it wasn't like any bread they had seen before. They called it manna, which is the Hebrew word for what is it? It's kind of like if you saw something, you didn't know what it was, and you said, huh? And then we just called that thing, huh? You know, they just, what is it? It was, it was something that God provided. They had no idea. They couldn't see it coming. Now, a side note on that, we might think of manna as this mundane, boring, you know, like having to live on this, this prison ration kind of a thing. But when we read what the text says about this, it says that it tasted of honey and coriander seed, and it was like flaky, and you could break it off, and you could have as much as you want. And this is God providing for them, so you know it was nutritious. It would provide everything that they would need. So what do you think of when you think of flaky, fine, honey, coriander seed? I think of Joan Yermick's uh, baklava, you know? Like, I would gladly live on that for 40 days. In fact, Joan, if you're listening, I, I'm, I, I'm requesting it. So God provided for them something that's nutritious and delicious. Now, other passages, you hear them complain, why do we have to keep eating this manna? But you know what? That wasn't the manna's fault. They complained about everything. God provided the nutrition necessary for them. He was blessing them, taking care of them, watching over them. And they could gather as much as they possibly wanted. Plenty of quail, plenty of manna. But they still complained because their hearts were ruled by their hunger. In their hearts, they would rather be slaves in Egypt than have to trust God this way. And believe God's word. Their hunger revealed their hearts, and that was a problem. In the very next chapter, we see the same kind of thing happen with water. They had to leave the springs of Elam, and so immediately they started complaining. And here's in Exodus 17, starting in verse 3. But the people thirsted there for water, and they The people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you this is God speaking. I will stand before you at the, mount, at the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. 
And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? God had a plan all along, but they were challenging his goodness. God had good reasons for why he provided for them in this way, but they turned against God because of their hunger and because of their thirst. Their deep desires for what they thought they needed the most. Now, if you turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 8, God gives some explanation as to why he did things this way. Deuteronomy 8 takes place at the end of this 40 years in the desert before they go into the promised land that he had promised them. And God explains what's really going on here. The book of Deuteronomy really gives us a, a looking back at, this, at these passages. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy 8, starting in verse 1. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So in this passage, God reveals his purposes for the desert, for the hunger, for the thirst, all of it. God did things this way for particular reasons, where he let them get hungry and then provided for them by his word. And he let them get thirsty and then he provided for them through the rock. Number one was to humble them in verse two. God knew that they needed something more than they needed food. They needed to be humble before God or this was never going to work. He was leading them to a place where they had to follow God and obey him. And if they weren't humble, if they were arrogant against God, it would spell destruction for them. And God knew that. It's just they didn't. He knew they needed humility. He knew that if they reject God, they would perish. They needed humility more than they needed food. The second reason... God did things this way, it says, is to test them, to see what was in their hearts, to reveal what was in their hearts, to see if they would actually keep his commandments. The hunger and the thirst were not accidents. They were used in God's hands to reveal the condition of their hearts. Hunger reveals what your heart thinks it needs the most. And the Israelites needed to keep God's commandments. They desperately needed to obey God more than they needed food. They needed to keep his commandments more than they needed water. The hunger and the thirst would, would reveal the condition of their hearts and show if they would keep his commandments. A third reason God gives in this passage of why he did things this way was to teach them. 
to teach them to hunger for the word of God above everything else. He knew that they'd be hungry. In fact, that was, that was the plan for them to be hungry because God would provide for that hunger through his word. He did it this way to teach them that they need God's word to survive. They need his commandments. They need his word. He was teaching them that every word that proceeds from the mouth of God is precious to them, and they need it more than they need life. They didn't know it, but they needed it. So that's why he did things this way. But as we look a little further in Deuteronomy 8, in the rest of the chapter, we find a fourth reason of why God let them hunger and thirst in the desert to receive their provisions from God. And that reason is this. God knew what was coming for them. He knew that he was preparing them to be full. He was preparing them for a time when they would be full. God knew he was planning to bless them in this new land, and they needed to be ready for that because they would become full of what they were currently hungering for, and that could be dangerous for them. Here's what I mean. Look at verse 7. The Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, the land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs, flowing in the valleys and the hills, a land of wheat and barley. Just imagine this. Of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full. And you shall bless the Lord your God in the good land he has given you. See, God had a purpose for the lessons of hunger and thirst in the desert. He was preparing them for a time when they would be full. Think about what the word full means. Full means that you have so much of what you hunger for that you don't even hunger anymore. Being full means you are, that hunger is completely satisfied and you no longer hunger for it. You have as much as you want. So is being full a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it depends. Because if your heart is in the wrong place and you're hungering for the wrong things and then you're full... Excuse me, let me start that again. If your heart is in the right place and you're hungering for the right things, then being full is good because you're satisfied with something that you truly need. But if you hunger for the wrong things and your heart is not poised toward God and you don't realize what you really need, then being full is dangerous. Because now you might think, I have everything I'd ever wanted. And you no longer have a desire for what you really need. Being full of the wrong things, being satisfied with the wrong things, is dangerous because you will no longer hunger for the right things. Were the hearts of the Israelites in the right place? Well, they said that they'd rather be back in slavery if they could just have some better food. No, 
their hearts were not prepared to be blessed. They were hungry for the wrong things. And what if they went into the promised land and they were blessed and full of the wrong things? They would forget God. Look in verse 11. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of of slavery. See, God was warning them of a danger that lay ahead for them. It wasn't the danger of starvation or dying of thirst or heat exhaustion. It wasn't the danger of snakes and scorpions. It was the danger of being satisfied, being full of the wrong things. He was going to bless them And if their hearts were in the wrong place, then that blessing would result in forgetting God. If they hungered for physical blessings alone, then a time of blessing would make them feel full, satisfied with the wrong things, and they would have no more desire to follow God and keep his commandments. They would have no desire for what they needed absolutely the most. Do you remember when Jesus was led into the temptation in the wilderness? The Holy Spirit led him there and and the devil tempted him there. Jesus fasted for 40 days. I mean, he was hungry beyond what we could even imagine. Every fiber of his being was crying out for food. But even in that condition, the Lord Jesus quoted this very passage from Deuteronomy 8. He quoted this when Satan tempted him to forsake God for a little bit of bread. Jesus quoted this passage because he knew what it was all about. That the hunger of the Israelites was supposed to teach them to hunger for God more than food, more than anything else. Nothing is worth turning away from God. Nothing. In John chapter 6, we see even more of what God was teaching us through this. Jesus had just fed the 5,000. And think about the parallels to the Israelites in the desert. Jesus walks out into the wilderness. There's a large crowd around him. Think of the parallels. He's in the wilderness, a large hungry crowd. He prays, provides for them miraculously as the bread and the fish are multiplied. It says that Jesus took the loaves and the fish And gave it out, and everyone had, quote, as much as they wanted. They were full of this meat and bread. It says they had their fill. Does that sound familiar? Then right after this, they started following Jesus around. And he left that place, and there was this crowd following him. And I'm going to paraphrase what they said to him. They're like, hey, Jesus... What miracle are you going to do? Like, you know that one about the manna? You know that one when the people miraculously get bread from heaven? How about, how about that one? How about you do that miracle for us? Hint, hint. And in John 6.32, Jesus 
explains to them what that was all about. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus took what the Israelites experienced and said, all along, this was talking about me. He is the bread from heaven that gives eternal life and satisfies our soul with what we really need. Aren't you a little jealous of this crowd sometimes? Like, They got to walk and talk with Jesus. They got to see him perform these miracles, raise the dead and heal the blind. They got to hear his voice and listen to him teach. Wouldn't that be amazing? They're standing there in front of Jesus, God in the flesh, the word of God incarnate. And you know what's on their minds? They want another piece of bread. That's it. They were totally missing it. They did not understand what they really needed because they were distracted by their hunger. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4, it explains what this miracle of the water from the rock was all about in Exodus 17. It looks back and it says, they all drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. You see, manna came from heaven, but it was not just about food. Water came from the rock, but it was not just about water. These stories were real. These stories happened, but they were also prophecies about Christ. It was always, always about Christ. He is the bread of life given from heaven to sustain our deepest need. He is the rock that supplies life-giving water for our souls. So if that's the case, then here's the question for us. What are we hungry for? I'm not just asking about your wants, and your desires. What do you hunger for that's connected to a need that you have? What do you thirst for? As you think about your life, there is a deep-seated hunger in you that drives you based on what you think you need the most. So as you think about your life, what, what are you hungry for? What do you thirst for when you wake up in the morning? Is it every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, or would you be satisfied with something else? Is it Jesus, the bread of life, more than food, more than coffee, more than anything? In your day-to-day life, what are you hungry for? Most of all, None of us are opposed to physical blessing. We all enjoy good food. We all are thankful to have shelter and safety. 
We all want to pay our bills and have plenty left over. We all want to have happy friends and family and relationships, and we want everyone around us to be healthy. But are those things desires? Or are those things what you hunger for? As if you absolutely needed them. How much do you need them? Because if those things are what we hunger for the most, what's going to happen if we get them? Would we run the danger of forgetting all about God? Because we're satisfied with something else. Will our hearts be satisfied with the wrong things? How much blessing would it take to get you to forget about God? All those other things are good. Their wants, their desires, and they are good. But they will not satisfy our souls, and they must not satisfy our souls to the point where we forget about the Lord. If Christ is your greatest hunger, then for eternity your soul will be satisfied. Let me read again. Or read this text from John 6. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. So before we close, I'd like to give a few questions to consider based on these passages, just for you to think about on your own. First, do you see God as a means to meet your needs? Or do you see God himself as your greatest need? The only thing that would satisfy your heart is the Lord himself. That's what he's given to us. When Jesus was so hungry in the desert, he never lost sight. Even 40 days of fasting didn't make him lose sight of the fact that obeying the Father was worth more than food. We bring our needs to God, and we must always remember that God is our greatest need. Everything we truly need is found in Christ. And the good news is he can't be taken away from you. Treasure that above everything else. Treasure Christ above everything else. Spend time with him every day. Drink deep and enjoy the Lord more than anything else in your life. A second question, is there anything that God could bless you with which would lead you to forget him? To feel satisfied without him? If your heart hungers for the wrong things and you get them, then you're in danger of forgetting about God. Think about how God has blessed you. As we, we think about all of us, you know, we live here in America. We have so much, even though there are real needs at the same time. But if our hearts love those things more than God, those blessings can lead us to complacency. Keep reminding your heart to love God first. And a third question, are you regularly being nourished and sustained by the work of Christ in your life? Jesus calls himself the bread of life. 
He is the rock from which the living water flows. He is not a one-time meal. He intends to nourish and sustain you every day, forever. So be aware of how he is at work to sustain you and to nourish you and to encourage you. Participate in worship continuously. Celebrate communion regularly. Spend time in his word constantly. and, And watch how the Lord is building you up through his church community day after day, week after week. His sustenance is not a one-time thing. He wants to nourish you spiritually every day. And that will go on and on forever and ever. He is the bread of life. He gives us living water. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love for us, and your provision for us. You have provided so richly of what we truly needed. It's found in you. Our life, our sustenance. Lord, I pray you would continue to work in our hearts to desire you to to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And as your word promises, we will be filled because you are faithful and you are good. Thank you for knowing each one of us by name, for sustaining us and leading us and and filling us and being with us every day. And we so anticipate, Lord, seeing you face to face and recognizing in that moment that you were our greatest hunger and our greatest thirst. And there we are seeing you face to face once and for all. Lord, fix our hearts on you alone. Nothing else can provide us the life that you do. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.